Welcome to the world of fiction, where we're lying, but that's okay. One prepared host, two neurodivergent nerds, two authors dig deeper into the lies that expose truths. If you're a fan of fiction with a curious mind, tune in each week for discussions on speculative worlds, fandom, the industry, and creating. Let's talk about ebooks. I'm your prepared host, J.S. Garrity. And I'm the host who's winging it, Ludlow Adams. For our new listeners out there, every, every week I choose and prepare a topic because I'm a researcher and a planner. And I find out the topic half an hour before because I'm an improviser and good on my feet. Let's get into it. So today we're talking about ebooks and the, you know, decade or so couple of decades or so conversation about if ebooks are devaluing literature. In the, you know, 2007, when Kindle first came out, there was a lot of people in the industry, especially authors, who were worried about what the ebook would mean for, you know, the market of, of readers out there. And if they would stop buying print books, if they would um, stop paying more money for better quality, or if they would not be willing to pay $10 for, for a paperback because they can get an ebook for $2 or $1. Yeah. Um, it's obviously been a while. Ebooks have been around for quite a while. So um, it's, you know, a little more clear that print books aren't gone for good, but there's still some controversy in the industry about if ebooks hurt or help authors and if ebooks, because they're so easy to publish, devalues literature in general. Um, so recently I was uh, at a Wireside uh, chat, which is something that our um, master's program has where they invite different authors to come and speak. And um, this particular author on this day um, said this phrase um, that a book is worth at least the price of one cup of coffee. Mm. And I thought that was a really interesting statement. So I wrote it down and took a note of it. Um, and I looked up the national average of a cup of co coffee um, nowadays, and every source reports it a little differently, but about four ninety, just under five dollars, seems to be a standard for, you know, a, just like a basic latte or, um, you know, medium cup of coffee. So a lot of ebooks are not priced that much. A lot of them are three ninety nine, two ninety nine. A lot of them are only 99 cents. And then you get the ebooks that are free. And then there's the subscription side of yeah. ebooks. So, like Kindle Unlimited, which also kind of changed the game. Um, so, what are your initial thoughts? So, my initial thought is that ebooks are allowing people, two groups of people, to get involved that have been kind of locked out in the past. Um, it's allowing people mm -hmm. to become 
um, authors and become paid authors in ways and in genres that they wouldn't have been able to, you know, 20 years ago. Um, definitely not even 15 years ago with, I mean, with the way you, we can self publish now, it's just so much easier. Um, you know, you don't have to go to a vanity press. So it's allowing people to put content out there that we wouldn't have otherwise. And it's allowing other people to, you know, like somebody who might be say, um, legally blind, but doesn't necessarily have easy access to everything in braille. Like let's say they're a speculative fiction fan and they want to read, you know, a bunch of, um, fantasy science fiction or fantasy. Well, you know, they could potentially, um, expand the, uh, the, the, the typography enough to be able to see it, you know, maybe they can still see and, but they can't find these books in braille as easily or, or things like that. So I, I think it opens up a lot of access. I don't know that it devalues them. A lot of the time, I think mm -hmm. when we see somebody selling a 99 cent or, you know, giving away a, um, a free, uh, ebook, um, it's either they're they're brand new and they're just not sure how all of this is working out or if it's going to work or it's a strategic decision like it, let's say you're putting out a series you know and you you've got a new book coming out in the series it's the fifth or sixth book of the series and you're doing a release for it you don't put that one on sale you put the first one of the first book in the series on sale to bring in new people and you know once somebody had said that i was like oh, that makes much, much better sense. And um, this author who was doing it specifically says that it, it just works out so much better for them than anything else they had tried. So, yeah, I, I don't think it devalues them at all. In fact, I was happy to pay, um, you know, a bit more than that for um, Marco Cluse's Frontline series. Um, have you seen, I'm going to, diverge just a little bit here just to kind of explain to our audience and maybe even you who marco Cluse is did you see the first season of love death and robots on netflix no okay. i didn't pretty good some of it's a little like what are you doing here hey. but there's two specifically <laughs> that i absolutely adore um one of them is called lucky 13 and that is a short story by Marco Cluse in the Frontlines universe. And they changed it up a little bit. They made them um, like, you know, Marines and stuff instead of some other things. Um, and then he did another one that was like a werewolf soldier, werewolf military, American military werewolf in Afghanistan. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, Marco Cluse has been able to carve out a really decent, living for himself or what I imagine, you know, from the outside looking in, I imagine is a pretty good career for himself almost entirely through, through digital books. And I'm happy to pay the, you know, five or $6 or whatever it was for each of the books in that military right. science fiction series. So yeah, I, I don't think it's hurting it um, for book collectors or book lovers, maybe the individual person, but that individual person the average person maybe who does not read is going to be able to pick stuff up much, much less expensively on a Kindle once they have the Kindle, you know, once they've passed that barrier to entry. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned a couple really good pros for um, eBooks. One of them being 
that authors, if they use it correctly, can take advantage of the cheap ebook yeah. craze. And one way of doing that, like you mentioned, is, you know, starting out with, you know, the first book's only 99 cents and then the rest of them in the series are three ninety nine or four ninety nine, um, but you get them hooked with that cheaper one. Some authors will even make the first ebook yeah. free, or do like a buy the second book, get the first yeah. one free, yeah. kind of thing. First taste is always um, free. After that, you got to pay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and Jane Friedman's opinion for those who don't know, Jane Friedman is a sort of industry giant. Um, in the publishing and, and writing world, she's got the inside scoop on all of the happenings and the current events and um, just in general, an expert on publishing and writing and blogging, yeah. reaching an audience. Um, her opinion is that authors can either hurt themselves with ebooks or they can help themselves with the ebooks and you kind of have to get mm -hmm. on the bandwagon to profit sure. from it and to take advantage um so it doesn't have to yeah. hurt an author um that that actually makes a lot of and sense the question i think of, like technology okay. in general either you get on board with it and you get good at it or you kind of get on board at it on board with it and you're not good at it and it hurts you so yeah yeah yeah. Or, you know, like it's a, it could be a resource that you're refusing to utilize and not necessarily hurting you, but you're missing an opportunity yeah. and freebies and cheapies are a really great way for an author to get recognized. Um, which brings me to another area of discussion is that most people read books that are recommended to them yeah. either by friends or maybe they watch the tv show which is kind of in itself a recommendation or they you know saw it on a goodreads page like their favorite author read it or someone they're following on goodreads read it and wrote a great review people don't usually just scroll through the lists of ebooks on Kindle, some people might, um, but usually people are looking for something specific, um, whether that's a very specific kind of book they're wanting to read and they're exploring different ones on their own, or if they've looked other places for recommendations and then come looking for that specific book. So this idea of the ebook oversaturated market, um, I can understand that it might make some of an impact. That's maybe somebody might go if they're choosing between two um, for the cheaper or free ebook rather than a more expensive or I say expensive, but it's really not expensive at all, no matter what, um, but a more expensive than the ebook print version of something. Um, but ebooks are virtually free to produce unlike print which can be very very expensive mm -hmm. to produce so are ebooks really hurting royalties 
I mean, you might not make as much per book, but if more people are willing to read yeah. it because it's in an ebook, then it might yeah. be fine. And if you're writing quality work and people are going around and recommending your work, then all of the, you know, lower quality ebooks out there that some people are worried about saturating the market with, um, doesn't really matter yeah. because your book stands out with the recommendations that it's yeah. getting. Yeah, I can see that one. You know, when it comes down to the numbers, it's, you know, writers' careers are so very different from one another. You know, um, a speculative fiction author's career is going to look very different from a romance writer's career, who's going to look very different from a young adult or middle grade to young adult career. Um, and then whether or not some, you know, some project has been picked up for a movie or a television show or something along those lines, it, it, it it's all so, so different. But a lot of money is made not necessarily just from selling the books. It's from movie rights and, you know, some things along those yeah. lines. So, um, you know, uh, Robert Jordan and uh, his estate and obviously Brandon um, have probably made a, quite a bit of money um, on some licensing rights just from Wheel of Time stuff or, you know, have made some decent money from it. Mm -hmm. um, and... You know, obviously, Rowling has made billions. I mean, I think <laughs> yeah. she's been a billionaire billions. a couple of different times after giving away so much money. So, you know. And the majority of that did not come from no, book sales. No, no. Uh, Stephen King, you know, he's he's doing pretty well for himself as well. And he's had, I think he's had more movies um, or more film projects of of whether it be movies or televisions and any other living writer. I think the only writer that, that beats him is actually Shakespeare, but I could be wrong on that. So yeah, he's, he's doing pretty well. Um, yeah, that's hard. That's so hard to say, like, you know, this is going to be better for you. Mm -hmm. This is going to be worse or whatever. Um, and it's going to be different for every author because, like you said, you know, a romance author yeah. probably makes most of their income on yeah. ebooks, um, even from, you know, Kindle yeah. Unlimited, because romance readers like to read a large yes. quantity and they like to just zip through them and yes. read maybe even a few a week. They are voracious. Um, but if you're. A, yeah. 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 But if you're an epic fantasy writer and you're producing two books a year or one book a year or a book every other year, you're going to want to price that book much yeah. higher than say a romance. And it's still, I think that there's something to say with ebook. You might not want to price it at two ninety nine. You might want to go for more like five ninety nine yeah. in that area, but you're probably still going to make more royalties on the five ninety nine ebook than you will on a say $15 paperback because the majority of that $15 is overhead yeah. and the cost to print the book itself. Print on demand certainly makes it um, easier to make more um, if you're self-publishing. But if you if an author traditionally publishes, they make very, very little percentage-wise yeah. of how much the book yeah, is sold Yeah, they for. make more um, 
we say they, hopefully in a few years, it'll be we, we all make more based yeah. on um, hardback <laughs> sales. I guess it's, it's significantly more on a hardback yeah. sale, but so somebody had been asking Brandon Sanderson, Brandon, like, Hey, you know, what would you prefer? Is it better for me as a fan to support you by buying a hardback? And he's like, no, actually be honest with you. It's better for you to buy a paperback and then hand it when you finish, when you're finished done. Wow. I can't speak. When you're finished reading it, it's going to be a long day, everybody. Buckle up. I got very little sleep again last night for some bizarre reason. Um, he he oh, said, when, when you're done with it, just hand it to a friend. And that's the best thing you can do to support mm -hmm. any writer's career, in yep. his opinion, or one of the best things. I don't want to yep. put words in yep. his mouth quite like that. But yeah, so, yeah. you know, I guess it all depends. You know, what are you doing? Are you helping that person yeah. grow? Now, um, selfpublishinginfo.org released a graphic that a friend of mine shared. Um, my friend, uh, my writer friend here is Milton Davis, who writes um, African and African diaspora characters and, and stories. So he does like, um, rather than sword and sorcery, they call it sword and soul or, you know, sword and, uh, yeah. And then like Afropunk and some things along those lines. And Milton is um, fantastic in this realm. And he really knows his stuff when it comes to the world of publishing. And he has been saying like, you know, seriously consider getting away from traditional publishing. Um, and he's even doing a lot more things himself under his own imprint, doing things um, through ebook format and Kindle and things. And, um, I think there's going to be more to say about that when we talk about the next, uh, the next topic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, does he have a website yes. that we can link in the yeah. show notes? Sorry, Milton. Okay. I, so we'll I completely listeners. dropped the ball on that one. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I, no, it's... I'm pretty sure I remember it off the top of my head, but let me just look it up again real quick. Um, okay. And we'll put it in the show yes. notes as well. It is mvmediaatl.com so m is in mike v is in victor media atl as in atlanta.com all right and we'll have that in the show notes as well with maybe a couple um of yeah. his books he's a great writer he's a lot of fun to talk with he knows his stuff i love i love talking with him um you know i i find that he's one of the best pseudo mentors that you know i could possibly have and you know he's actually the reason you and i know each other he's the reason i decided it was time to uh build a a try to build a career as an author and to, to come back into school and everything oh. it was it was milton at one point saying hey 15 years ago i started this now i'm 60 and i did the math and i'm like wait a minute i mean i'm like 43 i could do this you know if he could get started i can too for those of you who don't know, for those of you who don't know, Ludlow um, has a bachelor's in a completely different field, has had a whole career in a completely different field. And then a few years, few years ago, um, has started pursuing his his passion yeah. of writing. Yeah. And and so if if ever you get a hold of my stuff and you're like, this is the worst dreck I've ever seen. 
blame Milton. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've read Ludlow's writing and he's an excellent writer. Thank you. I don't think that it's going to happen. (laughs) Although everybody has different opinions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Let's switch gears over and talk about Kindle Unlimited. Yeah. Because as much as ebooks changed the industry, the introduction of Kindle Unlimited really put a, a spin on things. Yeah. Because suddenly you're getting paid for page pages read. So however many pages of your book was read, you'd make like, I think, 0. 0.0009 cents or something per page. Um, which sounds like the worst. And, you know, if Kindle Unlimited pays authors enough is a completely different topic. Yeah. Um, but on the topic of has Kindle Unlimited hurt things for authors in general, even authors who are not publishing with Kindle Unlimited, um, we're just going to go over some stats here from 2021. Okay. Um, so based on a poll, uh, and this is a from written word media, so... You know, take it with a grain of salt. Take it as you will. I don't have a way of verifying if this study was um, following best practices or not. But based on a survey that they did, about 74% of Kindle Unlimited users read five or more books a month. Hmm. And um, 63% of Kindle Unlimited subscribers somewhat often or very often purchase books outside of Kindle Unlimited. And only 6% of the people polled said they never purchase books outside of Kindle Unlimited. So it is very clear that our Kindle Unlimited subscribers are very avid readers and they are taking advantage of the content that they get for the like, what is it? $9.99 a month or or whatever. Yeah, there, um, there's a whole kind of school of thought amongst um, the author community, uh, specifically about subscription-based careers, like you know Kindle mm-hmm. Unlimited and things. And I have a friend, another friend, who is um, doing pretty well under under her Kindle Unlimited. Um, she writes, um, I, I would say, you know, sex on the page, um, romance, and mm-hmm. you know people people gobble it up uh, people love it so yeah. i mean i'd imagine i'd imagine it's like a lot of things you know maybe like um the book tipping point by malcolm gladwell where he talks about once you have once you grow to a specific point it as long as you're still growing um geometrically or whatever it is it's just going to take off like a rocket once you hit mm-hmm. that quote unquote tipping point and i think that yeah. kindle unlimited might allow an author to hit that point a little quicker because people can kind of just take it for a ride instead of, yeah. Oh, I don't want to spend six bucks, but you know, I can spend an hour of my life, you know, reading a couple of chapters to see if I like it or not. And usually yeah. it's faster than that, but you know, mm-hmm. usually by the end of the first couple of paragraphs, people know whether or not they are going to keep reading. Yep. Yeah. That's a huge thing um, with eBooks and Kindle unlimited. There's a lot of them only get, you know, the first two pages um, of page reads. And that goes back again to 
you know, producing quality content or the content that your audience is looking for, you know, knowing your audience, knowing your market, that is going to be so much more important than whatever competition is out there. Yeah. Because your book has to stand on its own merits. I mean, word of mouth is the, and remains the top uh, way that books are advertised. Um, It's not even like book talk or bookstagram, which are technically recommendations, um, but they don't still don't do as well as the recommendation of a friend. Yeah. That's the number one way that books are advertised. Yeah, it it and it's kind of always like that. You're not just going to take some, you know, somebody who's um out on the street who's like, "Hey, you should do this." Yeah, whatever, mm-hmm. crackpot. Uh Simon Sinek once again talks about this a little bit and he's like, "You know, but if if you know somebody's taste is like yours or you consider them a bit of an expert, you're much much more likely to actually listen to their opinion about things." And a book recommendation from a friend is you know, or book recommendations to your friends is probably the single biggest thing you can do to help your favorite writers' careers. So as, you know, pretty much everything, all media is moving into this subscription format. Um, and it just kind of makes sense that books are, are doing the same thing. And movies and TV shows, music, all those people have been adapting. And at first there was a lot of controversy and concern in those mediums as well, as things started moving on to this subscription based um, format. I actually just finished watching the first season of the new show blockbuster, Mm -hmm. which is about the last blockbuster in the world which there actually is still one blockbuster open in Oregon. Um, But I remember when Netflix first started doing streaming Mm -hmm. and all the blockbusters started going out of business. And then there was the red boxes that were, you know, putting blockbuster out of business. Mm -hmm. Um, But people still will pay when it's something they value and they want like i will buy the music of my favorite artist even though i can listen for free on spotify or prime music or whatever i will still buy the music because it's valuable to me and i think as authors we can play the system a little bit to our favor um you can also do what some of the uh, film films are doing nowadays, especially after COVID, where it's initially re- released with a premium price. And then as soon as it's not making money anymore, it kind of passes that threshold. It gets released for, you know, a cheap or free mm-hmm. price. And in the past, when you release a book and it reaches that point where it's not making money anymore publishers would just stop printing yeah. it. And with this new age of ebooks where it's really cheap to produce, they can keep the ebooks in circulation yeah. and you can continue to make 
you know, trickles of income on older books. So it can be a benefit yeah. if you if you do it right. Yeah. In fact, I think it's a, a huge benefit in a lot of cases. You know, it's a back catalog that really makes authors a bit of money, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, once they've been completely paid out on their advance and everything else is working, had they gone the, the traditional route, that money just, like you said, it keeps trickling in. And, you know, even a thousand dollars a month per book or something for a, a pretty well-known author that is really popular who people are going to keep picking up their his his or her old stuff it makes a lot of sense you know yeah. for for a newer author um there might be that again that tipping point where they actually really start making money on their their back catalog but it may take mm-hmm. a long time it may take a while but yeah i yeah. i think it's i think it's so helpful for us to be able yeah. to to look back and say oh wait i can now access everything without having to haunt you know used bookstores or anything else which i still do anyway you know it's still nice right. to find those old books mm-hmm. and again that goes back to that idea of um based on those stats from written word media the readers, most avid readers of eBooks are still purchasing print and they're still buying outside of their subscriptions because, you know, avid readers, they love to go to those old bookstores and poke around and find hidden treasures. I don't know very many readers who don't like to go to an indie bookstore or a Barnes and Noble and just wander around like it's a candy shop. There's still a, 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 an allure yeah. to doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Which is actually unique from TV shows and movies because people don't really go to the store and browse through the movie section in the same way that readers like to go to a bookshop yeah. and have that atmosphere. Well, it's funny you say that. My roommate will go to uh, the movie section of any store he goes into just to see if there's something like, you know, a weird horror oh, collection cool. or something. But again, it's the exact same thing. If you're walking around barnes and noble and you see a collection of you know the complete works of edgar Allan poe or something you might you might pause and be like well let me let me take a look at this yeah we actually have that exact one on our bookshelf <laughs> complete works of edgar Allan poe yeah, yeah. <laughs> from barnes and noble i'm pretty oh, sure yeah yeah <laughs> barnes and noble uh has done a really good job i think of doing some of those collections and um i'm i'm grateful yeah. for it to be honest yeah i I like to support an indie bookstore um, for, you know, the things that you can find pretty easily at an indie bookstore. Um, But I do love how Barnes & Noble um, publishes classics and puts pretty covers on them, makes them kind of collectible, has, you know, the complete works that they do for different authors. Um, I have a really pretty... uh, Fitzgerald's book that has the great Gatsby and a couple other works um, with this just gorgeous art deco cover. Um, And I, I like the, those kinds of collections that Barnes and Noble puts out. Yeah. They're fantastic. You know, sometimes it's, you know, an omnibus of an entire collection of, of whatever, and you're able to hunt it down and you're like, oh, this is great. You know, I have all of this together, but this is a new binding or this is different. You know, yeah. I, I, I've got to pick this up too. Um, yeah. So, yeah. 
I find myself doing that with ElfQuest now, actually, because so ElfQuest mm-hmm. is an old comic that started in the 70s. Um, the original writer and the original artist who are a married couple are still kicking around um, and doing it. And they're they're fantastic. But, you know, now with the, the big omnibuses that they're putting out, it's it's easier than ever, I think, to find some of those old classics. Now, there are some things from the 50s, 60s, 70s, like maybe history books or something that are really difficult to find, or you just can't find them digitally. Um, at the time of this uh, this recording, I would say that Enemy at the Gates, um, which is nothing like the movie. The movie is like, you know, a quarter of one page in the book, but it's all about the siege of Stalingrad during World War II. I can't find that digitally right now, but, you know, yeah. I have a, I have a... Um, a print copy that I actually ran into in a um, in a thrift store, uh, gosh, ten years ago now or something. So you know, I'm grateful to have it. But yeah, you know, but I think this just goes back to popularity. So somebody who's writing um, epic fantasy or sword and sorcery or horror or something like that in the '60s and '70s yeah. is much more likely to have been picked up and and kind of have a, a cult following, if nothing else. Whereas history books may be a little bit more, a little bit more difficult, a little tougher sell to get yeah, to digital yeah. specifically. Right, right. And then, you know, there's kind of along the same lines as the pretty covers and the unique collections in print. Um, there's also, you know, co- actual like collectors books um, that are of significant value mm-hmm. And these are books that are, you know, 100 plus years old, and they're still, you know, obviously the author's not making money on them anymore, um, but there's people are still willing to buy them and buy them over and over and over yeah. again as they get passed around between collectors or whatnot. Yeah. Um, I have uh, Pippi Longstocking and the Secret Garden that were my grandmother's um, I haven't checked the date on the Pippi Longstocking, but the edition of the Secret Garden I have is from the twenties, nineteen twenties. So it's it's fairly old, or thirties maybe. Um, but yeah, almost a hundred years old. And then I have a beautiful collector's edition that I, I don't know how old it is. I I can't find any information on it anywhere. <sighs> um, but it's uh, the works of of Emerson and has this beautiful leather cover um, that's worn. And um, I don't know exactly how much it's worth, but it's, you know, something that you can't find anywhere. Yeah. Um, and definitely isn't something that you can replicate in a digital way. So there are elements um, yeah. on a, on a broader level you know, the people who enjoy the tactile and, and sensory experience of a print book. Like, that's not going to ever go away either. So, there's things that ebooks can't replicate that I think means print isn't going anywhere yeah. anytime soon. Yeah, I, I think anybody who's just saying, hey, I just want the story, um, which is kind of where I'm at with comic books right now. So, I love. There's some amazing storytelling in some comic books that I just absolutely adore. And, um, you know, I don't want to collect individual issues. I'm just like, I'm, I'm telling, I'm telling, uh, my comic guy, Hey, you know, just 
you know, if we can't get it in a trade, let's go ahead and see if I can we can hunt down those uh, those individual comics. But I'd rather have it in trade. Mm-hmm. And and I go with trade because I, I want to continue to uh, to spend, you know, support that store, spend a little bit more money at that sp- store than I would if I, you know, took all of my comic shopping digitally. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of reasons people um, still support print, you know, everything from, like you said, the tactile to um, wanting to be loyal to a store or or an institution mm-hmm. or something. So, yeah, there's there's still a bit out there. Yeah, absolutely. And libraries, libraries aren't going anywhere. We'll have an episode in the near future about how libraries are still very relevant. Oh, my gosh. I just got warned about a topic, age. everybody. <laughs> you'll forget yeah, by time you get to it i'm sure that's true um and you don't know when it's coming yeah. either um but you know libraries are still very much being used yeah. and have lots of benefits yeah. that are still very relevant yeah. and yet there's a push and to get rid of them I, yeah. yeah from the people who have <laughs> never needed to use them who say they're, that they're mm-hmm. not worthwhile because of amazon or yeah, yeah which is ridiculous because yeah. yeah um and it you know they'll always keep doing print they libraries do do some ebook stuff but yeah it's not nearly as popular as print is yeah for people who use libraries yeah. um another uh point i want to go over which i i think maybe something that most people wouldn't think about um but how ebooks affects the debut novel for a new author mm. because it used to be and it still kind of is but it used to be that your you know your debut had one shot right and if it was dead on arrival it's dead on arrival and it's gone debut's over you can go on to the next thing but you'll never get your debut back and if it doesn't succeed from the get-go then it's gone forever um never sees the light of day again um and there's a lot of authors who talk about how you know your first book is never going to be that great and to not expect much from from a debut and and a debut doing well is pretty rare and all of that may be true but because of ebooks and because of print on demand um, and other newer things in the industry, your debut doesn't have to be dead if it doesn't succeed right away. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can, there's plenty of authors who are the like 10 year overnight successes, yeah. right? Where they've been writing, they've written 20 books, 10 books, whatever, and then over time have gained a following. And as you've mentioned, hit that, you know, tipping mm-hmm. point. And all of a sudden, all of these new fans are reading their old work, too. Yeah. So their debut is getting picked up with, you know, ebooks and digitally, yeah. and people are actually reading it. Yeah. So I see this benefit as an author who's about to publish my debut, mm-hmm. um, which I will be publishing in print and ebook that, you know, it's okay if it's not a smashing success right out of the gate, 
because I can do the hard work and put in the time and build my audience yeah. and my fan base. And as I build that audience, people may go back and read the debut. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think it, 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 it's more potent for somebody who's doing a series or something in some cases, like, mm-hmm. you know, somebody hands a book to somebody else and says, just get through the first book. And after that, it gets amazing or something like that. I mean, how often do we hear that as readers? Yeah. Um, you know, I've said that to some friends about some books that, you know, have thrown people for a loop. I'm like, just get to the second book and it'll all pull together. And yeah. once it does, they're just like, this is amazing. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, you know, the the hope is that all of our back catalogs will continue to uh, to bring in new writers and really, you know, yeah. affect people's lives in a, in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And for these, you know, epic fantasy series where you have like 10 books in the series and they're massive Mm -hmm. and they're expensive because they're massive. You get more readers who are willing to buy the ebook versions because it's less of a commitment than buying the print series, spending 200 bucks or whatever on it. And if you don't like it, then you're out 200 bucks or you have to try and resell it or whatever. Um, I think more people are, going to be willing to read stuff that's harder to commit to because it's available on ebook. Yeah. I mean, Robert Jordan's a great example because that is a huge commitment yeah. to, to go after reading the wheel of time and somebody who doesn't necessarily want to spend a bunch of money buying each book as they're reading can get, you know, cheaper ebook versions yeah. and st- still be able to get the story but without as much of a risk yeah. if that makes yeah. sense there are there are authors of that caliber who still charge more than we would normally think is is okay for oh, a, yeah. an ebook but then again like Brandon likes to point out when it comes to his ebooks he's like you get a lot of value for that you know for those 7 8 9 dollars or whatever it is so yeah. it's still cheaper than yeah. print yeah mm-hmm. um and now, you know, th- there was that loophole period, that donut period, I guess, if we want to call it that, where people, where authors were not being taken care of when it came to their ebooks. But now those are starting to get written into contracts um, very, very yeah. clearly. Like, you know, if, if we stop printing them or whatever, you get the rights back like, by doing this. And at that point, you can you know, you can do digital or whatever. And, and actually that's kind Mm -hmm. of biting some people because some authors are like, well, if you're not going to continue to publish it in print, I want my rights back. And publishers in some cases have said, well, no, no, no. Uh -uh. As long as we keep it in print, well, as long as we keep publishing it digitally or keep it available digitally, that, that um, takes care of our responsibilities as far as that goes. So that's Mm going to really be interesting. Um, to watch that continue to evolve over the next five, six years, yeah. I think. Um, I'm sure there'll be new clauses yeah. coming into circulation and contracts about ebook versus print and different rules for yeah. ending the contract yeah. for each of those sales. Yeah. It's, it's pretty neat. Uh, I've got a friend who's working on her third novel right now. Um, and I did a, a really kind of high level review and some, some troubleshooting with her with it and mm-hmm. um 
it's the first one that she's written under contract. So it's the second book in a series mm-hmm. and and she's like trying to figure out time, you know, timelines and deadlines and how do I get this done yeah. and this done. And so she ultimately asked for another month, an extra month to get it done because um, she's now doing review process. And it, it's been really interesting watching that. And she's got a, another series that she actually got published first. The first book in this second series, the first book in this other series about trolls um, was written and published first. But the second book in her newer series is the one that got contracted first, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I was saying, I was like, you know, I, I, I used to think, oh, I, I don't know how I would be able to do that. I don't think I'd be able to do that, switch between projects like that. But now, now, you know, trying to write a first novel, I'm like, yeah, now I understand why people sometimes just have to have something else to work on for a little yeah. bit. Um, I don't know that that's the best thing to do for one's career or anything. I'm just saying I get it psychologically. Yeah. Well, I know Brandon has said something about being in different stages of the process with multiple books at once. So in revisions for one, writing for one, development for one, um, you know, publishing process for one, one being released. He is such a self-disciplined writer. it's so amazing sometimes you know he'll he his productivity is just through the roof but then again i think in a very real way he does look at this as a bit of a business um oh absolutely and we'll talk about that more in our in our next topic um sorry if you guys are sick of hearing about brandon sanderson he's just such a perfect case study for the industry and the business what what could be possible and and there are going to be writers out there who are like well i'm never going to be able to have that kind of that kind of career, you know, at that level, well, we don't have to, you know, if I had a 10th of the career or 20th of the career that Brandon did right now, I would be ecstatic. I absolutely Mm -hmm. would be. So, you know, absolutely. It's it's like anything else. Sometimes you've got examples of exactly what you could do or model your behavior after. And other times there's examples Mm -hmm. of what you don't do. Brandon is an example of what you should probably aspire mm-hmm. to unless unless you feel like that's overwhelming and in which case just slow it down you can slow down the pace and still have a decent career yeah absolutely all right well that is our time for today uh, we've been your host ludlow adams and jay Garrity. thanks for tuning in join us next week for a new topic about the world of fiction this has been we're lying but that's okay Big thanks to our listeners for your support. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review. Thank you to our one-man production and tech support team, Max Garrity, for making this podcast possible.